0: Hello readers, my name is Jason Jefferies, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is number one New York Times bestselling author Joe Poznansky. He is the author of six books, including Paterno, and The Secret of Golf. He is a national columnist for The Athletic and a former writer for Sports Illustrated, NBC Sports, and the Kansas City Star. His new book is The Baseball 100, which is published by our friends at Avid Reader Press. Joe, welcome to the program.
1: It's great to be here, Jason. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Joe, I want to dive right into this book, uh, which is a ranking of the 100 greatest baseball players of all time. In your foreword, you state that you expect for the reader to come at you with vigorous disagreements, and down the line, I will have at least one of those. But first, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about how you fell in love with baseball, where you think baseball stands in the sports landscape of 2021, and why you decided to rank who you believe are the 100 greatest baseball players of all time?
1: Sure. Um, so I fell in love with baseball, you know, at such a young age, it's hard for me to even tell exactly what it was that drew me to the game. I, you know, I, there, my parents often talk about how the, the earliest video or film, I guess back when they were making uh, home movies, actual movies, uh, is of my dad, uh, pitching the underhand wiffle balls to me. Uh, and I had a little plastic bat and, and, uh, so I was always pretty much in love with the game. I, I think it, it started for me, like I say, before I even uh, can remember. And, and uh, you know, then when I was in my, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, I was completely drawn to every element of the game, playing it. I played, of course, in Little League, uh, watching it on television that, that once or twice a year that uh, – we could afford to go to a baseball game ourselves, uh, collecting baseball cards, uh, listening to the games on the radio. I mean, it was everything, and and I loved every part of it. So it really, for me, has been a lifelong uh, uh, love affair with the game. Uh, you know, it's where the game stands today is uh, is trickier. I mean, I mean, there's no question that when I was younger, it, it had a much sort of firmer place in American culture and American pop culture. I mean, it's still obviously huge and and still draws, you know, hundreds of millions of people and, and, and so on and so on and so on. But, um, you know, I don't think that in the, in the landscape that it, it is as prominent as it used to be. I, I don't think that baseball is, is it's certainly not as prominent as football is, uh, you know, in, in our culture and our everyday lives. And um, I think basketball and soccer and, and other sports are, are, are there with baseball now. So, so I would say it's not what it used to be, uh, in that way, but I think the game is still wonderful and there are still so many fans out there. Um, as far as this book goes, you know, this is the baseball 100. It is something that I have been working on. Mm-hmm. It is something that I've been working on for, you know, a decade or more. I, I, I used to, you know, I'd still do this blog and and I would write and I would count things down. I always thought that was a lot of fun to do. And I thought I ought to do something with baseball like this, something really big. And I, I started it and it was, it, I fell in love with the project. It was different than what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was really just going to be a countdown, a ranking of the players. Um, and we could argue about that and have fun talking about that. Mm-hmm. But as I started writing about these players individually, as I started writing these, you know, in-depth essays on, on each of these players, I, I came to realize that what this really is for me is a way to tell the story of baseball, a way to tell the history of baseball, a way to tell exactly the things we've been talking about, why you fall in love with it, why the game is not as as you know, perhaps as as in the culture as it used to be. Um you know the story of 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 integration in baseball, the story of of uh, steroids in baseball, the story of all of these things that are good and bad, and you could tell them through the hundred greatest players. So so that's what it is for me. It's it's a uh, it's a chance to tell a story of baseball, and and uh, I do know that most people, uh, you know, hopefully people will see that, but I think most people would rather argue that I had you know, player X rated too high or too low. And that's fun too. I mean, that's, that's all a part of baseball.
0: Absolutely right on. Thank you, Joe. Um, So let's jump into your rankings. Number 100 is Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, When you're ranking players and considering their statistics, we see this a few times throughout the book. You are counting statistics in other leagues, uh, sometimes in other countries, such as Japan. In this case, if Japanese statistics are not counted, is Ichiro still a top 100 player?
1: Um. Good question. Um. I would say yes. I would say he still would be a top hundred. I don't know that it was necessarily his excellence in Japan that pushed him over the edge. I think he, you know, you're right. This is there is there is a statistical basis behind this book. There is a formula that I put together with a, a noted statistician. And and that was sort of the founding of the book. That's where it started. But the players are really ranked in, in much different order than, than the, the statistics. That just sort of gave me a baseline. And, you mm. know, with Ishiro, the statistics are really odd because, of course, as you point out, he he spent the first seven years of his career playing in Japan. So those are not statistics that, uh, that you'd see on the back of his uh, baseball card. Um, also he was an unusual player. He was a, he was a player who got a lot of hits, but didn't walk a lot. Uh, a player who did not really hit for great power, but was a great defensive outfielder. So there's, there's a lot going on there with Ishiro. And to me, he was a larger than life figure, which is, is important to me. So, uh, yeah, I think he'd be there. I, I thought hundred was the perfect number for him. I just thought that's, who I wanted to kick this thing off with. I mean, that's, you know, to me, you, you, you talk about uh, the most sort of joyful and impactful players of the game. Uh, and, and Ishiro is right at the top of that list. So, uh, so I think he'd be there anyway.
0: <laughs> right. Well, thank you, Joe. Do you think um, Otani has a shot at cracking the top 100?
1: Well, certainly he does. I mean, it's, it's obviously very early right now for his career. I mean, this is really his first true full season but there's never been a player like Shohei Otani ever, including Babe Ruth. I, I know that they sometimes compare him to Babe Ruth because Babe Ruth pitched before he was a great hitter. Um, but for a guy to be a dominant pitcher and a dominant hitter at exactly the same time, especially in today's era of specialty and and the you know the greatest athletes in the history of the game are playing baseball right now um it's 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 otherworldly it's absolutely otherworldly he's such a joy to watch so you know I, he has to do this for a few more years uh to 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 sort of getting into the career stratosphere of some of these other guys but uh absolutely i i i don't think that you can ever ever say that uh that uh, Shohei Ohtani. otani there's literally nothing he can't do
0: Right. Yeah, I have definitely watched uh, more Angels games than I ever imagined this year, especially <laughs> considering Mike Trout's injury. Um, well, thank you, Joe. I'm going to jump ahead to number 93. And believe me, uh, I could talk about every single player in this book. Um, number 93 is Ozzy Smith. And I'm going to return to this thought later. But you write about Ozzy. His legend has little to do with his own numbers it comes from the numbers that were not recorded. Can you tell us what you mean here as it pertains to Ozzy Smith and perhaps to other players too?
1: Sure. Well, what made Ozzy Smith so great was first and foremost, I mean, the, the the vast majority of it is the defense that he played. He was a shortstop who was the most athletic shortstop the, the game has ever seen. He made, diving plays, spectacular plays. He's very famous as a young player. He actually made a play where he dived for a ball and it hit a rock or something on the field and bounced the other way. And, and uh, he literally reached out with his bare hand and caught the ball and, and threw the runner out. It was, it was, it was like something out of a cartoon and that's what made him great. So when I say the numbers that were not recorded, I'm talking about those hits that he took away. I'm talking about the batting averages that he lowered all across the league. I'm talking about the the great uh, uh, pitching numbers that that were put up when when they were throwing in front of of Ozzie Smith, and and in his particular case, the World Series that the Cardinals went to, um, you know, in large part because of things he did. That were you know beautiful to watch, but fairly silent when it comes to the numbers. So, uh, you know, Ozzy, there are other amazing, great defensive players in this in this list, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, I think when you when you talk about defense, you're probably talking about the shortstop. It's the most important defensive position other than catcher. And uh, when you talk about shortstops, Ozzy Smith, I think is is the greatest of them all defensively.
0: Great. Thank you, Joe. Uh, Listeners, this is a good time to mention the Crooks Corner Book Prize. Uh, Have you heard about the Crooks Corner Book Prize, what Pulitzer Prize winner Charles Frazier calls the coolest book prize in the country, awarded annually for the best debut novel set in the American South? This $5,000 prize is intended to encourage emerging writers, whether published by established publishing houses, small independent publishers, self-published authors this year's winner will be chosen by best-selling novelist and poet ron rash and will be announced in january 2022 for more information visit www.crookscornerbookprize.com joe back to the baseball 100 Uh, i want to ask you about bullet rogan who had a great career one of the 100 best in your opinion uh then left baseball went to work for the post office and rarely spoke of baseball again. And stories like this are um, sprinkled throughout this book. It's what makes it so much fun. Um, I want to ask you, can you imagine this type of thing happening today? It would be like saying, and then after retiring, Mike Trout went back to Omaha where he spent the rest of his days delivering packages for FedEx and he never spoke of baseball again. Is something like this even possible these days?
1: Uh, Not really. No. Uh, You know, I think we're so much more connected Mm-hmm. Uh, than we were then. I mean, socially, and and uh, yeah, I don't think that there's <clears> the <throat> place in the country you can hide. You know, if you're if you're a spectacular a, a baseball player as Mike Trout was, or as Bill Rogan was. And of course, the story of Bill Rogan is the story of the Negro Leagues. I mean, he played in the game before uh, Jackie Robinson integrated uh, the game in 1947. He played actually long before he was he was playing in the 20s. Uh, when, when the idea of, a of, a of an African-American baseball player, uh, in the major leagues, uh, was really, you know, it wasn't even a dream at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, and he was this incredible player who played, uh, he was a pitcher. He was a, he was an outfielder. We talk about that, you know, that's, it's very, uh, it's, I think it's just to talk about Shohei Otani and then talk about Bullet Rogan because Bullet Rogan was, was that kind of player as well. Um. Mm -hmm. And and then yes, I mean, he, you know, he, he he did not get the the acclaim that that he certainly should have gotten because he never got to play in in white baseball at the time. And then when he did retire, and then there were quite a few of the players in the Negro leagues who did that. When they retired, they retired and found jobs in, you know, for him it was the post office. Uh, for others, it was in you know, automobile factories and, and, and as uh, janitors at schools and so they're, they're you know, story after story of some of the greatest baseball players who ever lived uh, playing, you know, just walking around uh, and, and basically almost nobody knowing who they are. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's bittersweet for sure. I mean, the, the bitterness is obvious, but the sweetness was how, how great they were. And, and the fact that that bullet Rogan, uh, is now finally, you know, he's in the Hall of Fame and and he has finally begun to got to get uh, some of the acclaim. It was it was really an honor for me to put him on this list. I there's no question in my mind he belongs there, uh, but it's an honor for me to be able to tell his story because I think most people have not heard it.
0: Right on, thank you so much, Joe. Um, Max Scherzer is your first active player on this list at number ninety. Uh, do you think he improves his positioning as a member of the Dodgers, and do you think he will be with the Dodgers after this postseason.
1: season? That's a, both are great questions. He definitely has improved his position all the active players, you know, it's a snapshot in time. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, some of the active players like Albert Pujols, uh, you know, their careers are not over, but, but they're slowly, you know, they're, they're, they don't have that much time left. i mean, Albert Pujols is going to retire at the end of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys like Max Scherzer obviously still have something left. I mean, he might win the Cy Young Award this year. He's pitched, he's pitched that well, and he's, since he's been to the Dodgers, he's been almost unhittable. I would not be surprised to see him back on the Dodgers next year. I mean, if, you, if you're asking, I mean, obviously we have to see how the rest of this year plays out. The Dodgers will go into the playoffs as is I think the favorite to win the world series again uh, in large part because of Max Scherzer, who I think is, is added a dimension to their pitching staff that, that will make them very, very tough to beat. Um, and at that point, it really will be up to Max Scherzer himself where he wants to play. I mean, he's at that stage in his career. He's made enough money. He can go wherever he wants. But I, I think once people go to the Dodgers and win a world series or, or compete for one, and see how they're treated in LA. It wouldn't be surprising to me at all if he stayed.
0: Right. Um, thank you, Joe. I, and geez, sorry, Dodgers fans, but I hope not. I I saw before <laughs> we had to turn our feet off. You had a Padres shirt on. You might've seen my giants hat in the background, but I, yes. I don't want to
1: see him go to the, I don't think, I don't think you well, need to worry about the Padres. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I thought he was, I thought he had gotten traded there for a minute before the deadline. Um, I'm sure you did too. Um Well, number 89 on your list is Mike Piazza, uh, the lowest draft pick to make the Hall of Fame. What skills and statistics warrant Mike Piazza being the first catcher to be included in your list?
1: Well, I think Mike Piazza was the greatest hitting catcher probably ever. I mean, other than Josh Gibson, who is a whole other category uh, Mm -hmm. playing in the Negro Leagues as he did. Uh, Mike Piazza was an incredible hitter, became an incredible hitter. He was, as you mentioned, he was he was essentially drafted as a personal favor to the Dodgers' manager, Tommy Lasorda. Uh, or I should say from, a personal favor from Dodgers' manager, Tommy Lasorda, to Mike Piazza's father, Lasorda, and Piazza's father were friends. So nobody wanted him. Uh, no college really wanted him. No pro team really wanted him. And the Dodgers sort of took him on a, you know, just on a flyer, just uh, – it was like a 60th round draft pick. They gave him the tiny, tiny signing bonus. And he, uh, and he went to play. And then of course he developed, he, he, he became much, much stronger. He developed his, his hitting and he, he was just a massive hitter. He was very, very few players have hit the ball as hard as Mike Piazza did on a regular basis. He was not a particularly for those that that would be interested. He was not a particularly great catcher uh, defensively which, uh, you know, was always something that, that tailed him, uh, you know, as, 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 throughout his career, but you know, he was good enough. And, and he was certainly, uh, just an incredible hitter.
0: Right. Amongst all the positions in
1: baseball, where do you think catcher
0: ranks in terms of degree and importance and complexity?
1: Oh, it's, it's gotta be number one. When you talk about everything, I, I mentioned that the toughest position in is, is shortstop. And I think that's because catcher is almost its own category. I mean, when when it comes to uh, how much it takes out of you, when it comes to, you know, you're the one person who, who uh, you know, is facing the other direction, as people say. You're the, the person who controls... Uh, the defense in so many ways. You're the one who tells the pitcher what to throw, whether you're getting that information from the dugout or not. Uh, You're, you're the one that has the most uh, sort of active place with the home plate umpire. I mean, there's just so many things you have to block balls. You have to block the plate. It's a grueling position. And that's the thing that really, I think separates it from every other that you can, I mean, there are catchers who play, 140 150 games but not for very long it's a it's a it's too grueling a position so so you know you play 125 130 games as a catcher and and uh and and you know you try to you try to last through the incredibly difficult summer months it's uh it's an incredibly important position and it's an incredibly difficult position and that's why there are not very many who were great catchers defensively and great hitters it's uh it's it's very very difficult to do both there are a few they're in this uh they're in this book but but there are very few
0: thank you so much joe listeners we're going to pause here for a word from our sponsor and then i will be right back with joe posnanski the Bookin' Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name but you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores i'm back with joe Poznanski, author of the baseball 100 which is published by our friends at avid reader press joe we've just worked our way up to number 89 Uh, i don't know how we're going to do this but we're going to do this Uh, i spent months with this book and i have to say before we move on uh, that i love sports books regular listeners of this podcast will have picked up on this by now. Uh, But this book, the baseball 100 uh, is the most enjoyable book of its type I've ever read. Um, I put it right beside maybe, you know, the book of basketball by Bill Simmons. It's just a fantastic, fantastic book. And I'm going to be selling it all year long. Um, I'm going to skip Kurt Schilling here, Joe, because this guy doesn't need any more airtime. But let's talk about Gary Carter and bookend our break with, with catchers here. Um, Why is Gary Carter better than Mike Piazza?
1: Well, I I think Gary Carter is, uh, he was a a more, to me, he was a more well-rounded player. He was a great hitter and a great defensive catcher. We just talked about, um, you know, the, how rare it is to have both of those things. And I think he was a little bit better rounded, but I, but I think the thing that strikes me about Gary Carter, and by the way, thank you so much for saying that was very kind of you. I'm a big fan of, uh, of uh, uh quail ridge books and and uh it, it means a lot to me to to have the book in there i i was there uh a few months ago i guess maybe maybe even a longer since it was probably before the pandemic but i was there and saw uh my last book the uh the the life and afterlife of harry houdini in there and i was very pleased to to That's be a part of, for writing the book yeah to be a part of uh to part of you guys but i think when you, when you talk about gary carter you talk about joy and and I think that each of these essays each of these players represents something to me about the game that you know that I love something about why I fell in love with the game something about why I think the game is the greatest uh, you know game there is and 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 for me Gary Carter was always joyful was always smiling was always Uh, you know, playing the game the way you would expect if I ever made it to the big leagues, that's how I'd want to be. That's how I'd want to play. And, and so Gary Carter represents that. And uh, that's not to say Mike Piazza doesn't or other people don't, but I think he was particularly um, public about his joy for the game. I mean, it it was something you could just see with him every time uh, he went out there, it it just glowed off of him. Uh, So, so, yeah, I mean, you know, at, at some point when you start talking about these ratings and these rankings and, and uh, you know, it's like, well, why did you put this person in front of this person? It's mm-hmm. you, you don't have to, you know, I literally could have swapped those two and it would have been just as good. I mean, it would have been mm-hmm. fine, but mm-hmm. there's something about a certain players that that push them just a, the tiniest bit ahead of others. And and for me, what made Gary Carter, what I think about when I think about Gary Carter is that joy.
0: Yeah, do you ever miss the Montreal Expos?
1: All the time. I do. I really do. I loved I loved having a team in Montreal. First of all, I mean no no offense to to Tampa or or St. Pete or or Miami or any of those Florida markets, but you know, Montreal is such a wonderful international city and and the Expos were, you know, had this wonderful history. I miss them all the time. I really do.
0: Yeah, I do too. I, I mean, I'm glad they moved to Washington in a way because that's the closest team to us here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I've been able to take my uh, five-year-old son to plenty of major league games. And I do love
1: that. Before. I do love Washington yeah. should have a team. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, earlier this year, I took him to Baltimore when the Orioles were playing the Nationals for two games. And the Orioles uh, won both games. So now I fear that my five-year-old might be an Orioles fan without the, uh, the knowledge of what that implies.
1: Well, um, I would say... If- if, 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 I were, if you, you know, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to give parental advice because I right. that would, I would not, my daughters would never let me do that, but uh, <laughs> stop him from becoming an Orioles fan. If, if <laughs> no. at all possible, please stop him. Yes.
0: I, I'll do my best. I think he really likes him because he got two of those giant foam uh, oh, hands go. that look like <laughs> crab claws and two <laughs> feet that look like bird things. And he, he now dresses up like a monster called a crab bird. But um, anyhow, um, one of the coolest stories in this book is the story about Carlton. Fisk and his dad. Uh, what is it about baseball that is so tied into relationships between fathers and sons?
1: It's it really is amazing. It really, you know, obviously they're. I mean, one of the most beloved baseball movies, Field of Dreams, is about fathers and sons. Natural, another one of the most beloved baseball movies about fathers and sons. There is something there, you know. It's it, that's that essay. I've I've already done obviously some some media for this and 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 we'll obviously be doing a lot more as uh, the the days pass until uh, publication day on the twenty eighth. Mm-hmm. But I get asked all the time. Well, was there one essay that you love the most, or is there one essay, you know, one player that? And there really isn't in 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 sort of the bigger thing. I, I I really put everything I had, all of my heart, into each of these players. But the Carlton Fisk essay was the one that sort of. Presented what this book had a chance to be, you know. I I was I was writing these and they were going along and I got to Carlton Fisk and it became clear to me that what I wanted to write about was this this very tough father and this dutiful son and and the way that they clashed but also the way that they drove each other and and it leads to this amazing wonderful career that Carlton Fisk has. It leads to him hitting probably the most famous home run in baseball history the game six home run he hit against uh, the Reds in the 1975 World Series and and then it goes all the way to the Hall of Fame and at the Hall of Fame Carlton Fisk speaks to his father uh, in in a in a very touching and beautiful way and that's when I realized in a fuller way what I wanted this book to be, which is, I wanted it to be those stories. I I think you're a hundred percent right. I think fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons, mothers and daughters, that's, Mm. it's a more integral part of the game than it is maybe other sports. And, and I wanted to tell that part of the story too. That was my story. My my father introduced me to baseball and, and uh, you know, I, I wanted that. And, and the Carlton Fisk story is the one that really showed me the way I think in a lot of ways.
0: Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, I can't wait for our listeners to read that story. Thank you, Joe. Um, My next question. I I love baseball. I love baseball cards. I want to know is Bert Blylevin on this list specifically because of his rookie card. And as such, can you tell me about Rob's rookie card investment plan and how it is related to Bert Blylevin?
1: Yes. Yes. So uh, he'd probably be on there anyway. But uh, when I was in, well, I just moved to North Carolina, actually from Cleveland in high school. And, you know, you're trying to get to know people and, and make your way. And I was a particularly awkward kid. And I became friends with a guy named Rob uh, mm-hmm. Sadoff, who still lives here in Charlotte, actually. And And Rob was a big baseball card collector. And I was a baseball card collector in sort of the more traditional way like i had baseball cards and i loved them but i didn't collect them you know in the sense of trying to to collect rookie cards or or you know create investments or anything like that mm. but rob did and he sort of introduced me to this and one of the concepts he introduced me to was this idea of looking at a player's statistics compared to their age and being able to project if that player was going to end up in the Hall of Fame because mm-hmm. once a player goes into the Hall of Fame their value of their baseball card goes up. Mm-hmm. And so I was um very interested in this and the guy that was the most direct uh, uh example of this was Burt Blyleven. Burt Blyleven had a lot of strikeouts and quite a few wins for his age. He started very young. He was 19 when he played in his first year in, in the major leagues. So you could project he was going to get 3,000 strikeouts uh, pretty early on in his career. And most players who get 3,000 strikeouts, in fact, almost all of them, end up in the Baseball Hall of Fame. And so we started collecting Burp Lilevin rookie cards, figuring someday he's going to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame and we're going to get rich off of Burp and rookie cards. Mm-hmm. The, the plan, the only issue with with, with that plan, the plan worked. I guess to perfection, he is in the baseball hall of fame. Uh, the only plan is the only problem with those sorts of plans is they're very, very long-term plans. It took him Mm -hmm. 15 years to get into the baseball hall of fame. So we would have had to hold on to those cards for 25 years before they would have had any value. And, uh, I don't believe either one of us did. So we never, we never got rich on the burp lie 11 plan. Like we should have.
0: Yeah, let that be a lesson uh, to all the younger folks listening, hold on to your baseball cards, friends. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Um, Well, Joe, um, we're going to skip ahead, and I hate to skip ahead uh, in different times. I would meet you in Charlotte. We would talk over coffees or beers or what have you, and this could be a two- or three-hour episode. Um, But here we are a year and a half into this pandemic talking on the phone. Um, So I have two more questions for you. Um, I'm going to skip way ahead uh, to number three on your list, who is Barry Bonds. Um, I understand why he is number three. As someone who lived in San Francisco and went to lots of Giants games when Bonds was playing, I would even potentially rank him number one. Uh, do you, Joe Posnanski, believe Barry Bonds, the number three player of all time in your book, belongs in the Hall of Fame?
1: Okay, so the question is being asked, of course, uh, because uh, it is widely assumed and and more or less admitted in some form or other that Barry Bonds used steroids to uh, to to bulk up As, at the end of his career. Uh, and then throughout the 2000s, early 2000s, he put up um, numbers that blow the mind. He still owns the uh, all-time single season home run record of 73. Uh, he owns the all-time home run record period. He passed uh, uh, Henry Aaron on the career home run record. He had, mm-hmm. as you all know, as, a, as somebody who lived in San Francisco, mm-hmm. uh, seasons that he literally broke the game. Uh, mm-hmm. this, he was so good that managers refused to pitch to him. Who's intentionally walked 120 times um in a season, which is, you know, if you're not a, a big baseball fan, you it's hard to describe how absurd that is. I mean, there are very, very, very few players in unintentionally walk 120 times in a season for for managers to to literally just uh not pitched him, and I think he walked something like 250 times altogether that year, which is, which is obviously the record and also uh, an absurdity. Mm-hmm. So, so the question is, if somebody does uh, use steroids when it was, you know, certainly against the spirit of the rules, if not against uh, any specific rules, and there was no drug testing then, um, does he belong in the Baseball Hall of Fame? So my answer is that I think he does. My answer is that I think that the greatest players should be in the baseball hall of fame and, and, uh, and you know, the context of, of what they did in their careers should be made clear on their plaques or, or, you know, in some other form at the museum. I, I think the baseball hall of fame is there to celebrate and also, um, you know, acknowledge the greatest hitters the greatest pitchers, the greatest fielders in the history of the game. And, and, and Barry Vaughn certainly was one of those. So I would put him in the hall of fame, but at the same time, I understand that there are many people who disagree with me. I've certainly heard from almost all of them, I would imagine. Uh, and, and their argument that the hall of fame is a privilege and he doesn't deserve that privilege. Mm-hmm. I, I get it. I get what they're saying. I don't agree with it, but I get it. And, and, uh, that's not how I would handle it. I would put him in the Hall of Fame. I would put Roger Clemens in the Hall of Fame. I would put Alex Rodriguez in the Hall of Fame. Um, but other people don't agree with that. So so the good thing is that for this book, I did not, I mean, it certainly was incorporated into how I looked at his full career. Uh, you know, he is... Number three, when you could make an argument for him statistically, at number one, I, I I would not make that argument. It was very very difficult for me to determine whether he should be number three, number four, uh, you know. But that's that's where I felt he belonged, and and uh, and um, he's the greatest hitter I ever saw. I mean that 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 I can say for sure.
0: Yeah, and that's probably why I would consider ranking him number one because I haven't had the opportunity to see Babe Ruth or Willie Mays or any of these other guys. But, um, yeah, I remember that year uh, when he was getting walked all the time in San Francisco and we were hanging, like, rubber chickens off yeah. of a field wall for every time he got walked. Um, and I, like you, uh, Joe, I would I would put Bonds, A-Rod Clemens uh, possibly McGuire, all these guys in the hall. I would put Frank Thomas ahead of them, as it should be, and I I think Pete Rose should be in, too. Yeah. Um, but that's just me. Uh, and I told you I had, I had two more questions, but I'm not going to count this one as a quick follow-up to my last question. What if you just shaved off all of Bond's statistics from the uh, Maguire Sosa chase here forward and voted him into the hall based on what he did before? Uh, do you think that that could be a compromise?
1: I, I do. I do. I think he was worthy of the hall of fame in 1998 when, when it it's, Widely believed that he saw what was happening during the Maguire and Sosa chase and said, Oh, if everybody's going to be doing steroids and and PEDs of, of whatever nature, then I, then I'm going to do it too. And I'll really show him who's a great player. So um, yes, I think he was already, he'd already won three MVPs. He'd already uh, been a dominant player as a hitter, a fielder, and a base runner. Uh, I, I, I think he absolutely, would go in, uh, no matter what, but, you know, but again, I, I don't know that people are looking for a compromise with him. I think, I think that's the problem. The problem is that people feel very, very, very strongly. And, uh, and I don't see a real break in this at any point in the near future. I, I mean, I, I must admit he, you know, he's coming up, I think on his last, second last, or last year coming up on the on the Hall of Fame ballot, and I I don't see any way that it's going to break for him. I don't think that he's going to get in, and uh, it's it's you know it's it's a shame, but on the other hand, you know I also understand the argument that he didn't have to do what he did. So so I I see both sides of of that argument. I would put him in, but I get why people don't.
0: Yeah, I do too. And, and, you know, he was also a huge asshole and, um, that doesn't help his case. And one wonders, you know, if today's media was around, um, if, you know, Ty Cobb would be in the hall of fame so, yeah. um, but that's another argument for another time. So Joe, uh, my last question, I told you at the beginning, um, you had invited people to bring vigorous disagreements at you, um, whether this is vigorous or not, I'll let you decide. Um, but I'm going to bring back up also Ozzie Smith, uh, who I told you we'd circle back around to when you said his legend has little to do with his own numbers. It comes from the numbers that were not recorded. Uh, We've talked about Gary Carter, um, who has an amazing uh, W.A.R. statistics. Um, We've talked about Piazza, the first catcher on your list. Uh, We've talked about Max Scherzer, the first active player on your list. I now want to raise my grievance regarding the most blasphemous omission from your book as I see it. And I want to talk about three World Series championships, 2010, 2012, and 2014. I want to talk about the team that, as we sit here in 2021, has the best record in baseball. I want to talk about MVP awards, Rookie of the Year awards. Is it possible, Joe? That Matt Kane, Jonathan Sanchez... Late career, Barry Zito, Kevin Gaussman, Logan Webb, Ryan Vogelsong, Johnny Cueto, maybe even Madison Bumgarner and Tim Lincecum. Is it possible, Joe, that these gentlemen were not great pitchers, but were products of the genius Buster Posey? I believe that Buster Posey, based on his awards, his longevity, his multiple championships, but mostly like Ozzie Smith, uh, based on those numbers that aren't recorded, based on his ability to manage pitchers, is a top 100 player of all time. Tell me, Joe, why he's not...
1: Um, well, there you go. I don't, I don't know that I need to say it. I think you've already, you've made a very powerful case for Buster Posey. Uh, Buster Posey is a great player and mm-hmm. I, I don't have any, any negative thing whatsoever to say about Buster Posey. He was a, an incredibly and is an incredibly great player, uh, who does everything well with, like we talked about those, those rare players who can hit and field and, and, uh, and, and lead the way that he has. He's, he's an incredibly great player. Um, I can tell you he's not in the top hundred because I thought there were a hundred players better than him, uh, or a hundred players who who you know in my mind uh, were were more more they they fit better in my hundred. Uh, I'd also tell you this that his career is not over, and and mm-hmm. I don't know when the next version of the baseball 100 is going to come out. I'll I'll wait and see this one come out first, uh, but. Um, uh, you never know you never know if buster posey can be in the uh, in the next one i there's uh, there are quite a few active players out there who i think uh, have a very good chance uh, over the next few years of uh, of placing their own name in, in the greatest of all time
0: absolutely well thank you for humoring me there joe and thank you for your time and thank you especially for writing this wonderful book. I'm going to sell the heck out of it right now over the holidays and the years beyond. Sports books do not get any better than this, folks. This is a reading experience uh, that I will never forget. I'll definitely carry it with me uh, for the rest of my life. Listeners, I've been speaking with Joe Posnansky, author of The Baseball 100, which is published by our friends at Avid Reader Press. Joe, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you, Jason.
0: Once again, I would like to thank Joe Postnansky for joining me. Copies of the Baseball 100 can be ordered at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.